0: The artists from around the world, and tonight we have the project, Electronica Project, um, Project P. Um, you're from New York City?
1: Um, I'm actually originally from Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you in Boston now, or are you in New
1: York? No, I, I've moved to Virginia, so I'm in the DMV area.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we're going to go through the questions um, that we sent you. Uh, So I hope you have them in front of you, but we'll just go through them. Um, So when did you first get into music? At what age?
1: Um, I was technically five. Um, I I actually grew up in a really musical household. Uh, My dad was a musician in his 20s. Um, So he put me in piano lessons at age five. Um, And I kind of switched teachers over the years and did it on and off. But I pretty much did piano from when I was five up to high school so when I was like seventeen.
0: Well, that's a good writing instrument. I'm a keyboard player myself, and um, as synthesizer players, are, I, I think they'll benefit from you know piano lessons. Or I think anybody in electronic music music production, because once you get a MIDI keyboard, having the knowledge of piano helps you actually be a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really good basis because either you start on an acoustic guitar songwriters you know or guitar-based songwriters or piano-based songwriters or an, like MIDI instrument so I think it's a good place to start from. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been working on your own music?
1: Um, so I've been producing since October of last year so it's been almost 10 months now.
0: So what made you decide that you wanted to write your own music because um, a lot of people who are musicians you know they go and they become like, uh, you know, work in orchestras or become like studio musicians, but they don't write their own music. What made you want to write your own music?
1: Yeah, so I knew I was drawn to composition uh, right around the time I actually stopped playing uh, piano. So I was about 16. Um, I started trying to write my own piano scores uh, just because it was just like a creative part of me to want to... Uh, make my own music rather than just, you know, playing uh, the sheet music that was in front of me. Um, But I went to university shortly after that. So I didn't really have time to learn how to compose music. So um, Mm -hmm. that's what I've really been learning for the last 10 months. But I feel like because I played piano for so long, much of it is really intuitive. So yeah,
0: yeah, I agree with that. Um, So so, did you have a piano in your home or did you have access to a piano when you were learning piano?
1: Yeah, so we, we had like uh, like a keyboard and then eventually they got a grand piano.
0: Cool. That's always great to have a real acoustic piano. Um, just because mm-hmm. there's nothing like it. it's like, you know, a guitar player would say, it's nothing like having a real guitar. And I think any keyboard player would say, well, it's good to have a Hammond B3 organ or, or a really good. You know, electric piano, you know, or a very good you know, pia- you know, like a Yamaha piano, or anything that's like, you know equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's nothing like it.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially because you have like the the weight of the keys too. Um. So I find. Yeah,
0: I mean, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because synthesizers actually have a different action. They have what is called a synth action, which is a, way lighter than a real piano. And for some things, like I'm a big uh, Roland and Moog, I have actual hardware synthesizers, and I've been playing them for like 30 years. And there's, there's some advantages to the synth action that's lighter because it lets you do things on a synthesizer that if, if you have a weighted keyboard, you can't really do it. As, like, the synth action allows you to do certain types of expression on synthesizers that's low little different. Um, but weighted keys is a good, a good experience, I think, to have. And there are synthesizers that have way the keys, but some, a lot of synthesizer players will tend to go with the, the synth action instead.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so who are your influences and and, and who would, would you, like, say are your reference points when you listen to your music? I have some ideas after I listen to your tracks on SoundCloud, but if you were going to tell somebody, like, well, who do, who do you sound like who, or who are you influenced by, who who would you name check? Um,
1: honestly, I I have a lot of artists who I do like, but I'm not sure if I can say that I'm directly influenced by them. But I grew up um, really loving Sade and also Mariah Carey. Uh, and my dad, he listened to a lot of uh, Fela Kuti. So I kind of grew up with Afrobeat. And I feel like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like that, because um, I'm really into percussion. And usually, like my, the songs that I write, I I tend to start with the drums, just because that's like the percussion is really my favorite part of it. So I feel like that is mainly influenced by, the Afrobeat that I grew up listening to.
0: So how, how did you get into electronica cuz like in electronica a lot of artists that, that you know create electronica you know it kind of came from electronic music bands like Kraftwerk, you know, Duran Duran, New Order, uh, Depeche Mode. So I was wondering where where the synth wave influence came from or the
1: electronica influence. Uh, I think probably from video games cuz I'm also um, oh, really into video or games.
0: Or 8-bit. video games? Yeah. Yeah, that's like the 8-bit, 16-bit music. But I do hear in your music, it's 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 like less video game and more like new wave, new romantic mm-hmm. sound. Because a lot of the pads that you're playing, like I was listening to a couple of songs like Space Jam and Nostalgia in particular has some like trance, new wave type of sounds, like the pads on it. Sure. So I was just wondering, like... if if, how did you come about with that sound
1: um well yeah i do i listen to a lot of um like electronic music playlists i got i guess i got into it maybe about three years ago i think um actually i think it was tame and paula i i remember like
0: yeah that's a big synthwave band Mm -hmm. yeah that's i'm wondering can i hear that and you know, I do hear the drums and you know, a lot of electronic music is on the drum machines and the drum beats, but it's also like you know, being a synth player, my focus is like one well, when I hear like Mogues and I hear Prophet Fives or Jupiter Eights. I hear the Tom and Paula, I hear that influence, I hear that sound. Yeah. I, I do hear some Duran Duran Depeche mode, New Order. Those are all synth bands. You know, those are all bands that have heavy pads or interesting bass lines or interesting drum machine lines that comes from that kind of period. So yeah, that's a, that's a good um, name that gets me in, in the place where you are. I hear that. Yeah. Um, I also heard some Kraftwerk. I don't know if you know Kraftwerk, but they were like one of the first like electronic like German bands that kind of created the influence of the new wave. Uh, Prince was highly influenced by Kraftwerk and a lot of 1999 comes from that, that German band. I, the idea, those the way he plays on 1999, is a Minneapolis sound, but it's influenced by a progressive synth band called Kraftwerk from Germany.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, so your project, like your your latest video, is for Space Jam, right? That's your latest track.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So, how did that track come about?
1: Um, let's see. I think that. So it's funny because I, so that song, so I, I wrote it, took me a little while to write, but I think I, I wrote the entire song probably around March or April, I think. But um, that song started out as just a sketch. And I believe it was like, I don't even think I had done 10 sketches at that point. So it started out as just like this really rough kind of melody idea and then as I was kind of studying uh, music production and composing I slowly built up more and more tracks on it until it became what it was um, so it was
0: so, so, mm-hmm. so do you use a uh, digital audio workstation and which which dog do you use
1: um, so I use Ableton currently um, I used to produce in GarageBand, actually. Uh, Space Jam was started in GarageBand, um, as was Nostalgia. Um, so GarageBand is how I started learning how to mix before I was able to get Ableton.
0: And then when you're in Ableton, do you have a MIDI keyboard that you connect with or you do it all on the grid?
1: Um, I do have a MIDI keyboard. Um, it's the Akai Professional one.
0: So, Do you compose and play the chords in, like, real time on your MIDI keyboard and then record, like, track by track? Or do you kind of compose in the tool itself, kind of like GarageBand? Or do you do a combination of, like, using the MIDI keyboard and composing in the tool?
1: Um, I I usually just play on the controller.
0: Yeah, I would think, like, a keyboard, you know, people who, who started on, like, keyboards and synthesizers that's what they do they tend to do but i've talked to like guys who are like hip-hop producers or djs or um you know uh other artists or guitar players that don't know how to play keyboard sometimes they just start within the tool itself and kind of know how to sight read and then they they write it in but i've always found it's 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 good to express yourself on the MIDI controller or on a, on a keyboard to get the real feel of, of a song so, mm-hmm. in terms of your, your music theory and the, and the types of soft synths you've brought in, I do hear a lot of interesting, um, like analog, like type of sound patches and sound choices that you've made that have that, uh, you know, electronic sound, but a lot of it is like influenced by what I hear is like new wave sounds um, or, you know, heavy synth wave sounds, uh, like you said, like and Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about like the layering? Did you have certain? like feels you were going for
1: uh yeah for sure other...
0: um
1: so you, i'm sure as you know like Tame and paul is very like psychedelic so um yeah. that's definitely the like the sound and the feeling that i'm going for with my music so it's it's kind of um i think as i said earlier it's really intuitive so i'm just i'm just kind of mm-hmm. going by the feel and usually i kind of know you know when I'm layering, uh, how I want it to sound, so that's what I'm going. Do to you do
0: have so. certain? Do you have certain plugins that you prefer more than others to get certain feels? Like some people, they get a mode baseline. They'll use like you know, like a mini mode plugin, or they'll use like like a, they're trying to do pads. They'll try to bring in like a Prophet Five, which is a famous like poly synth that has really good pads, or a Jupiter. Is there certain sounds that you as 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 you get into production that you're starting to identify with certain feels? There's certain instruments that are kind of known in the synth world for certain fields. Do you just kind of go by what what you have access to? Do you, do you make selections on what soft synths you're going to bring in, or, or are you just using like what's resonating in the tool?
1: Um, so I actually don't. I don't have a ton of plugins yet. I have a few, but. Uh, for the most part, when it comes to like the the sound or the feel I'm going for, I have a lot of, um, of presets that I've tweaked, or I think I have a few sounds that I've like uh, designed myself, and I'll just kind of save mm-hmm. it as a save them as presets, and um, I'll come back to them when I'm looking for that sound specifically. Um, but I definitely do want to get to the point where I can kind of uh, you know, pull from a really
0: large, uh, preset library. Um, so yeah. 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 Cause I mean, over the years I've been playing since I was in my teens, I, I kind of started off with Roland sounds, which are famous for like really good pads and, and can I actually have the physical Roland's I can just use them whenever I want, but, also, like over time, you just you, you find out that there's certain tones, like guitar players find out, you know, the difference between like a Fender or a Les Paul or, you know, there's different instruments have different known sounds. Um, and in the, in the world of the DAW, you can get to all these as you get more capability or, or you choose them. Um, but it's interesting, you are doing sound design. So when you started to do sound design, did you take coursework to learn how to actually do, sound as you know to create your own patches or it was kind of like you just explored the tool and figured out what you wanted by like what you hear is what you want
1: yeah so um I think as I said earlier I started in garage bands so actually my first kind of introduction to sound design I was tweaking a lot of the the pads uh using what is it alchemy synth so that was kind of my yeah that was kind of my first intro to the, the sound design it's not It's not quite, you can't go quite as deep as you can in like something like Serum, Um, but yeah. 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 But that's kind of where I learned, you know, what certain knobs do. Um, So then when I actually got to Serum, it was a lot easier, at least for me, I guess, rather than if I had just started in Serum.
0: Yeah, did you really, like a lot of, I don't know if I get too far into it, but like as a synth player, a lot of us play with like the low frequency oscillators in the envelope generators to create all kinds of interesting characteristics. Like it's a lot. The more LFOs you have or low frequency oscillators, the more modulation sources you get. And so like an example, if you have a tone and you put a lot of LFOs on it, you can have it kind of decay and then come back and then do all these weird things. So after you like hold a chord, you can kind of keep on going and it can keep on doing all these weird effects and it's something that sound designers eventually, you know, they realize, okay, if I if I tweak these LFOs, then I get all these weird after effects happening on the sound or these strange oscillations. Have you gotten to the point where you you know where those type of tone generation or synth techniques are? Or are you just kind of as just trying to dive into your your construction?
1: I kind of understand it. Um, I think it's something that I definitely want to. Um, kind of explore more it's kind of like it's a little overwhelming sometimes because I can I can spend a good few hours just (laughs) designing sound Um, but yeah I definitely like love playing with LFO and stuff yeah
0: yeah I think a lot of people as you get into synthesizers and you realize what how you can just kind of tear apart a sound I mean you could take a bass sound sound but if you have something like serum or you have Ableton you've got a full panel um, that dives into the oscillators, it dives into the envelopes, it dives into the filters that you realize, okay, the effects of filters and music, if you use low pass and high pass filters or band pass filters, they have all these different effects in terms of what you're trying to do with your sound. And as you get, you know, more experience with synthesis, it, it allows you to do all kinds of interesting things uh, in terms of, general concepts of subtractive synthesis versus additive synthesis versus uh you know granular synthesis there's so many different types of things that like sound design in itself is kind of like an art (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know i think anybody that gets into electronic music it's like a rabbit hole you know i I, you can spend hours and hours trying to build a sound exactly and that's totally different than even building the song (laughs) (laughs) building the song and building the sound or like two parts of the same thing but within synthesis you can go crazy
1: right exactly. <laughs> in terms of
0: the the depth the depth of which you can go and with my analog sense it's like endless what you what you can do with them and so it's just like as you get into the this uh this whole art the, the more tools you get the more if you give, ever get your hands on a moog or a rolling synth you would find that your imagination can go anywhere um um, so i just look forward to your your development of, of what you can do because i like what what you're doing with the tools that you have now and every time you're every, every musician's always trying to build up their tool set or what they can do so it's interesting to, to hear where you are today and then if i talk to you a year from now see see where you're going where you're going
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure i'm de- i'm definitely looking forward to playing with an analog synth i'm hoping to get one maybe by the end of the year we'll see
0: <laughs> what 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 just to like kind of dive into that with a lot of people because i'm such a like a tech well not techie but a synth head um so what what type of scents are you looking at
1: uh, i would probably go for moog honestly um yeah yeah, yeah
0: they're cool which one Because i i i have a grandmother i have a mother 32 and i have a d fam
1: i have no idea i have no idea it's like <laughs> Super overwhelming to me, but I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it
0: out. <laughs> yeah. Well, the mini-mode is one of the most famous ones, the one Parliament Funkadelic used. Um, mm-hmm. It's the one that I, like a non new wave artist used them. The Grandmother is kind of like a modern mini-mode. Um, it's a keyboard-based mode. Uh, the other ones, like the DFAM is a drum machine mode. It's analog drum machine. And then the Mother 32 is a, is a smaller analog synth. Uh, but they have so many different types of modes. I mean, there's many, many modes, but each of them have their own character and they all have their own kind of purpose of what they can do. But yeah, mode, modes, I would ag- agree as a, as a synthesizer, like if you already have a tool like Ableton, the mode will give you like really good baselines. It will even, you know, they can create drums too. Like they, they can create pretty much anything. Um, and so then you could give a lot more heft to your mix when you bring a Moog in the analog signals just cut into the mix when you're recording they have such a presence compared to digital sound that sometimes they can overwhelm your mix but you just realize that it's going to take a lot of your mix once you bring an analog signal in it's going to be so heavy or so powerful that you kind of leave it in its own space and then not try to uh, it kind of will overwhelm their mix. If you have a lot of digital stuff, That the, the analog signal tends to overpower. And that's one of the reasons why analog kind of went away, but now it's come back. is people realize that's how you use it. It's kind of a combination of using analog, digital, and sampling. If you use all of them at different points, like if you're writing, you, you write in terms of like a sound painting, and each sound is like a color. And certain colors have certain purposes for your overall result, no. But that's okay. how mm-hmm. I get at it. Yeah.
1: So they say like um, analog uh, equipment tends to be like more like warm sounding, right?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean my, my modes like I have a Roland that I use for piano and I use it for pads because they you know, a mog can only do single notes. But a Moog single note, I can make my Moog single note sound like a three part chord. Co- it has like three oscillators. And so, what it can do is with one note, I can make it sound like I'm holding you know, like five fingers on a Roland because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, if you use the, like, so it's even though you only can do monophonics uh, on, on the Moogs I have because the polyphonic Moogs are super expensive. But it can actually equate to the, the level of sound in a in a chord. You can actually make each oscillator be like a part of a chord. And so when you actually hit that one note, it sounds like a chord. So there's all kinds of cool things you can do with it, even though it's monophonic, but it gives you that, that's this warmth that, you know, if you go back and you listen to famous records, you know, from the seventies, like from Yes and Genesis and Duran Duran in the eighties, you can hear that, you know, like a Jupiter 8 is a Moog. Duran Duran used it on Rio. It's real, you can hear it because it kind of cuts through the mix. It's like you hear these sense sounds, they're so present. The reason they're so present is because it's ammo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's cool, you can't sample. So you can't do the sampling that a lot of people do today. You can't do some of the interesting things that Digital Sense can do. So there's still reasons to use, you know, the digital capabilities that Digital Sense have. But Analog is really good for baselines, really good for leads, good for like experimental kind of arpeggiation. Because um, you can do all kinds of like random voltage generators. They can make all these. You can basically make loops on analog synths that are very tight. It, like you would do with a sampler, but they're actually analog. And they can create these little, like, uh, you know, what you people call clips today. You can create clips on these things and you just keep on layering these clips into your uh, DAW, and, and they're all analog, they have a different character than a, like a sampling-based clip. But it's just a different way of recording. Once you get into it, you'll probably like it a lot. Yeah,
1: it sounds <laughs> cool for sure. Um,
0: so the projects that you've been working on, on SoundCloud, are they part of a bigger um, project? I know you've been releasing individual songs, and I have seen like you have some, some projects that are out here Like, you have Arrangements Volume 1 that has a bunch of, like, tracks on it, but then you've got a lot of single projects. Are you working on, toward like, an EP or an album?
1: I I am. I do, I have, like, a kind of a theme in mind, and I have a few sketches that I think would, they would all sound really good on an EP. So that's something that I'm definitely going to be working on, hopefully, maybe next year.
0: So when you put together like an EP, is it like you're trying to have one coherent theme so that, you know, they're individual songs, but do you feel like they all kind of fit in the same project? That's kind of like the whole idea of an album or an EP is you've got songs that seem to fit together. Is that the overall idea? Like if you put something out like that, they're all going to, it's going to make a statement that's kind of the sum of is the whole of its parts
1: right yeah exactly so i had a um i had a few sketches that were very um i think for one of them i called it a lullaby with a beat and a lot of people liked it they said it sounded like super relaxing um so mm-hmm.
0: i amb- like amb- ambient music or more, more ethereal
1: yeah definitely but it had a really um i, I did like drum work on it so it was kind of like ambient plus you know like drums. drums yeah so i i have a a bunch of sketches actually that kind of fall in that kind of category so i can definitely see myself making uh, an ep out of it
0: it's interesting you refer to your songs as sketches, and a lot of times when I talk to artists, I kind of bring up that that idea that um, like George Martin, the Beatles producer, and Jimi Hendrix talked in terms of music as sound paintings, mm-hmm. and in uh, it's in bring up sketches because I think music can't equate to painting because of what George Martin had said about the Beatles was, I don't want to record the Beatles like they were in Berlin, I want to record them like a painter like Monet which means I don't want it to sound like they would in front of a crowd. When I go to do the project as an album, I want to use all these tools to actually make it sound different than reality. And that's one of the things that's interesting that, that the kind of the Beatles and Hendrix brought to the table, these, these tools that we see now in the Dawes and in overall music production that you don't necessarily have to sound like you do. If you were playing a live show that your album is a, is a representation of kind of an idea of a sound painting or what you call a sketch.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm actually a painter, so that's a really interesting analogy. Um, so I actually do. Art. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Do you do you hear your stuff as like like colors? Do you kind of see it as a painter when you're doing your your work? Do you see your music? in the same terms as, as, a, as an artist, like a painter?
1: Yeah, totally. Because um, even when it comes to just, like, arranging a song, like writing a song, there's so many layers to it. And when I'm doing a painting, there's layers to the painting, too. There's kind of, like, you know, you kind of, like, do yeah. a rough, you know, like a rough draft of the painting, Roof, yeah. and then yeah, you kind of build up and fine-tune everything, and then, you know, the final product is really polished and that's exactly how I feel as a producer you know my arrangements are kind of rough um then I kind of clean it up and then you know I, I do the mixing to kind of enhance all of the sounds and then uh the end result is you know the, the finished product the polished product
0: that's what I like about talking to singer songwriter producers is that you get a unified vision from the artist that you know, if you work with somebody else, it's different because it's kind of a collaboration. <clears throat> but I like dealing with people who write their own stuff or produce their own music because then you get a real full picture of that artist. You get this you get to feel and hear their vision. <clears throat> I think it's in a in a different way. And I think it usually is is pretty honest interpretation of who they are rather than if they're working with somebody else that's kind of like you know, if you're in a hit machine or you're a producer that's trying to do like popular top 10, top 50 music, there's certain expectations that you're going to fit certain things. But singer-songwriters are very unique. And so I, I like to listen to like kind of like the underground or dip people who are indie, independent artists because you get, to, you get to hear stuff that's kind of cutting edge uh, because people are doing things and they're trying things that maybe other people wouldn't do. Um, and so it's, it's always like very satisfying to see what's going on. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually two artists who um, I had written down that, um, whose work I really like and that kind of reminded me of them. There's Grimes and there's yeah. Flume. And mm-hmm. I, I really like those two specifically because both of them are self-taught producers um, and you know, obviously they, they make all of their own work completely. Like they write their own music, they mix their own music, they master their own music. So that's like, it's super inspiring to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because we, I, I wanted to get into your drum programming too, because as a producer and as somebody that does the whole song, you say, you did indicate that you start with the drums which is what a lot of people do in music, you know, you start with the drums. Um, so how do you come up with your, your beats, you know, in, t- in terms of the tools you use now in your DAW? Do you start them on your MIDI controller or in a sequencer, kind of like, a, like, a, like something that would act like, like an 808 or a 909 type of drum machine, kind of, you know, typical drum sequencing, kind of laying it down in that kind of TR recording method, or what type of method do you use for building your beats?
1: Um, So I'm not sure if this is standard, uh, but I usually, I kind of start with each part of the drums. Like I don't necessarily like do like the kick and the snare and the hi-hats all at the same time. I kind of just, you know, I focus on the kick, like what I want the kick to be.
0: What the kick to Mm -hmm. be. So you just put that on and then you'll kind of build on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because a lot of like, I have a couple of tools. Like, I have a cool thing from Teenage Engineering called OPZ that allows you to put down drum lines by, you know, you just start this 16 step sequencer. You can hit the kick in, you can pick what the one to kick you want. And you get like a 16 step thing, and you can either put them in on step recording or real time do it. And then you can play with the quantizing. And so sometimes what I like to do is, is totally unquantize stuff, and it's very loose. And then you kind of like, okay, well, that's not tight enough. But sometimes you can get a lot of cool experimentation and, you know, something that's not typical if you don't quantize initially. So what, what are your feelings on, like, quantizing and unquantizing? Or have you gotten into that kind of depth on your drum beats?
1: Um, I, I do quantize sometimes. Um, I, I kind of have watched and read some stuff about it. Kind of breaking away from quantizing because it makes it sound, you know, kind of too perfect. So I kind of understand that. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of trying to make it sound more human, like a human played it. Yeah,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. The thing about quantizing is it gives you the perfect beat, but it's a little too robotic. And and sometimes you like if you if you like I I'm a big fan of jazz. Like I like listening to to Miles Davis and Coltrane. If you listen to jazz at all, jazz drummers are famous for not you know they don't do quantized beats <laughs> they're like live human beings and they're they're kind of all over the map and they, they can get to a what could be thought of as a quantized beat but then they'll go off and then maybe they'll come back to it and I've always been very impressed with like progressive music and jazz music because it can have these polyrhythmic th- things going on that aren't always in time which forces you to kind of write in a different way.
1: Mm -hmm. I think
0: it makes it more interesting. Um, And so I think some some modern music tends to do a lot of quantizing, which I think is cool if you wanna dance, but maybe not as interesting if you're trying to do something like experimental.
1: Right, like another thing I like too are like broken beats. Um I find like those super interesting. and obviously've I've, I've kind of tried to write some kind of broken type beats, and obviously it's it would be hard to quantize
0: yeah, like, that. <laughs> yeah, kind of glitching beats. like you can like you can, like I've been playing with samplers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that sample beats and then you glitch them out because you'll take a beat like you sample it and then you change the timing on it. And then you kind of, like, you force a glitch. You force kind of like a thing where it's a little off because you purposely took something that was perfect then you kind of changed the timing in the middle of it or you added a polyrhythm to it to kind of they tear it apart. It's kind of like, uh, if you listen to like a Public Enemy and Bomb Squad, they used to do some really innovative things with beats where you kind of glitch it. Um, and we hear it in, like, glitch kind of, like, genres of electronic music. Have this kind of new capability that you can do, but yeah, that, that's something that's very really interesting mm-hmm. that, that you can get into. Mm-hmm. Well, unquantizing will do it too, but you can be more forceful than just even that. There's things you can can play with. Mm-hmm. So, so when after you start with your beats, what, what's like the next thing when you write a song? Or do you does it change from song to song? Because I've talked to songwriters and they'll say, Well, like every song's different and I don't have a standard way of doing it? Or, or do you have like a process that's somewhat similar for what you do? Or do you kind of just, each song requires something different, so you do something different?
1: Yeah, um, I can start creating a song in kind of a number of ways, really. Uh, so, so sometimes I start with a chord progression, and I kind of start adding tracks and building it up like that. Or like I said before, I start with the drums, make a beat, and then maybe I'll start the chord progression from there. Um, and then another thing I, I'll do is I like using samples. I like using loops. I don't really mind using that because sometimes just a sample can inspire a whole song for me. Um, so those are really the, the three ways that I compose songs.
0: So, I mean, I've been, you know, getting into more, I, I tend to do like a non-DAW um, type of recording, um, but I, I, I've been kind of going back and forth between using DAWs and kind of doing traditional recording. And I do have samplers. I have like these like Euro rack samplers. And I do sometimes start with a sample of like of, of a drum or something off a drum machine and then I'll sample it and then I'll, I'll put it in a loop. So I was wondering, like, there are a lot of people today, they use, like, clip-based, um, um, like, programming, like, what you'll see, like, on an MPC or on a groove box, like an MC-707, or even within Ableton Live, there's, like, clip-based placing of your sequences or your samples uh, or scene-based type of uh, arrangement. Are, are you diving into that? Or how, how do you... Uh, navigate all those different types of ways of doing things?
1: Um, I haven't really gotten into that yet. So when it comes to like making an arrangement, yeah, I I tend to do like the, in Ableton, I tend to use the arrangement mode. I think the mode you're talking Mm -hmm. about is, there's like that other mode that you can switch to, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not quite, I don't know it intimidates me a little bit so I use the Yeah
0: way. a lot of a lot of hip hop producers they kind of they don't tend to use the arrangement mode as more as that road to kind of take all these clips and then they kind of use like uh, non traditional MIDI controllers which are more like groove boxes or things that are like if you ever see like an MPC 1 or like uh, you know any of the groove boxes they make from 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 um, like you know electron, or there's all these different things that are kind of grid-based groove boxes. And so it allows you to kind of think non-sequentially. If you have this grid, you can kind of pop around a grid rather than going in a bar. And it allows you to kind of pop the clips around and the scenes around in a different type of structure, which is hip-hop is is a lot of hip-hop producers use it. A lot of DJs use it. But traditional songwriters like myself, I like to do like arrangement mode like you. Uh, I, I tend to do that, but sometimes if I want to do something really different, I'll, I'll go into like a clip-based thing and kind of jump around my samples and clips and, and kind of DJ it and create a, a song that comes from a, like a DJ perspective rather than a traditional perspective. This changes things up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to have something that's a little off kilter.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's something I definitely uh, want to learn for sure, how to use that mode.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of new things that have been happening lately. Is, is people are wanting to use these groove boxes. Because if you go to do a performance and you have like a groove box, like an Akai M- MPC or, you know, uh, Akai Live or something, it allows you to do a, like a performance live instead of just like running off a, like a, a CDJ, you can like kick off your song as clips and you're just hitting this grid, and you can kind of change it up live. So it has the aspect of being a DJ, but you have more control over what you're doing. So if you go to play, like, in New York or something, and you had your song, you don't just have to run it off a sequencer. You can kind of change it up like an old-school DJ with vinyl. You use these pads to kind of click your song off. You could have everything kind of chained together as a song, or you can kind of just rearrange it on the fly in front of everybody, um, which gives you some really cool control as you think about performance if you're doing live performance.
1: Yeah, which is really cool because then, you know, no two performances will sound exactly the same.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of like an old school guy like that because I like, like jazz and I like funk and stuff and any kind of tool that lets you not just, you know, put it on play and do it exactly the way you did it anything it gives you some freedom to express yourself but you don't necessarily have to even use a keyboard to do it you can have this kind of clip-based system and you could run it sequentially like in song mode or you could just kind of change it up as you feel and so if you want to go out and give the people the song you wrote you can do it and then in the middle if you want to change it you could just do it so it gives you a lot of control as an artist and you don't have to carry as much gear around
1: yeah
0: (laughs) but um it just is a cool thing to be able to do with like the, the machines i told you about like the Roland MC707 and Electron and uh MPCs they give they a lot of hip hop guys use them because it gives them capability to perform live without being stuck on a CDJ which is kind of limiting you know you can do some cool stuff with a CDJ but you can do more with a grid based control system mm-hmm. So that goes toward, have you been thinking about doing live shows? Were you doing live shows with Project P before the pandemic? Or were you getting ready to? Or have you, or you have them scheduled for
1: the future? Um, I would definitely like to um, play live. I I haven't uh, before. Um, The idea honestly freaks me out a little bit, but I do want to work toward (laughs) it. Um, I'm trying to practice the keys more um to mm-hmm. just to get comfortable with you know the instruments and the gadgets and stuff so maybe in a few years um yeah
0: so you would you, would you do it like if you were going to perform your songs you would kind of just play the chords out play the leads as like a keyboard player would do it or would you do it like a dj or do it like what i was talking about like with running clips off and, and maybe having combination of of, of a non-traditional controller, like a grid-based controller with a keyboard? Um, I just wonder how you would think about performing.
1: Yeah, I think at first I was thinking, you know, just performing it like on the keys. But now that you mentioned the kind of that grid method, I feel like even though I'm not quite accustomed to it, I think it would probably be a little easier on me to do. So that's definitely something I wanna look into.
0: Yeah, because I used to go um, to New York City and I would bring my role in there, you know. But I have like this uh, Beat Step Pro, which is like a, a, a pad based sequencer. And it allowed me to do like three lines of sequencing. And I could chain songs together and save them as projects. Well, I, could, I could chain parts together and they'd be, be a whole song. And so I could have like 16 projects on this thing. And it's connected to my synthesizers, my live synthesizers. So I could go into a show in New York, which I did in 2017, and I I could be a one-man band because it's got like a drum sequencer. And then it had like four other lines where I could actually have other sequences going. And then I would go and have my Roland keyboard to play piano parts and guitar parts and whatever live, and then have all this preset stuff that I did but unlike like just playing to a backing track, I could change it up in real time. I could just change anything I wanted. And so it gave me a lot of capability. And that's, you know, that's an old setup. You know, today, there's a lot more capability. But just using like a, a Beatstep Pro from, from, um, uh, is a cool way of doing that. And they've got even better sequencers from, from them now. But um, that's from Arturia. So Arturia has some cool solutions for that. And they're not that expensive. My BeatStep Pro back back in 2017 was like 250 bucks, um, which gave me a cool capability to do that. And it links through like MIDI and CV to like it would work with like Ableton. It could actually kick off sequences from Ableton, which is a cool thing.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And that's not bad, a bad price either.
0: No, compared to some of the more, you know, the MPCs are almost here near a thousand dollars. So it gives you something that you could actually, it's more doable. And it's portable and it's easy to carry. Uh, they've actually created a thing called a KeyStep Pro, which is a combination sequencer and keyboard that's fully polyphonic, which allows you to have pad sequences going. And it can do clips. Again, they can do seams. Um, and so the, the new version of it, it's a little more, it costs like 300, but because it has a keyboard on it, and then you can link it to Ableton. You could just bring that and have have really good live performances with this, like a keyboard bass. You can mute and unmute tracks so that you can use the keyboard to do a lead. You use the keyboard to do a bass. You could launch a clip while you're playing bass. You have the scenes, keep on un- unmuting and muting scenes and put things together as projects. And you have these big expansive soundscapes that you can perform live and it gives you a lot of capability, like a lot of a lot of synthesis like that tool. And I just wanted to kind of give you, not that I work for them, but given what you do, it sounds like that machine would work really good for you.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll have to look into it.
0: Yeah, so um, have you been collaborating with other musicians or are you primarily just working on your, your own work or are you actually working with other artists too?
1: Um, I've been mostly working on just my own work but there are definitely, I have a few artists who I'd like to collaborate with. We've, I've talked to a few of them, um, but I actually had a friend who I wanted to record rap vocals with, um, but that was before the pandemic. So um, maybe in the future, yeah.
0: So a question I had also on, on the song Nostalgia, is that your voice or a sample?
1: Oh, that's a sample.
0: So, have you thought of introducing, um, which maybe I haven't listened to all your songs yet, but some of the songs I haven't heard your, are you gonna ever do your own vocals on your work or is it primarily more of an instrumental project?
1: It's mostly an instrumental project. So I'm, I'm not really a vocalist, like I can't really sing, um, which is why <laughs> I, which is why I, I envision myself working with other vocalists who can sing mm-hmm. and, and like rappers too. Um, and... Oh, so you'd have
0: rappers work with you and you kind of
1: give them the backing tracks and the
0: overall song structure and then they, they would bring the voice or vocalists would come in and bring the voice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, this one story, I, I was never really a great vocalist, but then I, I, I fell in love with voice or vocal transformers. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start singing until I was in my 50s. Um, and then I started using all this like electronic technology to alter my voice. And some of the um, machines out there today can actually change the character of your voice. I was working with this, this um, lady in um, Los Angeles and she used to take her voice and change it to sound like a guy. <laughs> uh, and then she, she would do electronic music and have this male voice that was her and do kind of spoken word poetry and this male voice that came through a voice recorder um, so you, can, you don't just have to use auto tune with voice you can actually change the whole character of your voice and create a character that can make you more comfortable in putting your own voice to your music which is you know something that you know electronic musicians have done for years but but it's something that like you may want to think about if you ever want to get your own voice into it. There are ways to adjust your vocal, not just auto tune, but like radically adjust your voice to make it so it might sound the way you want it to.
1: Yeah, that might have to be something I look into because, um, yeah, I mean I I like using vocals a lot, um, especially like vocal chops. So that's definitely mm-hmm. something that I want to explore.
0: Yeah, the machines I use—not to be selling machines, but I use a machine called a VT3 Vocal Transformer from Roland, and I use a VT4. The VT3 is monophonic, and the VT4 is polyphonic. And the one cool thing about a vocoder is you don't necessarily even have to sing; you can just kind of a vocoder can actually take the notes on your keyboard. And if I use a VT4, I can take a chord. Like a diminished fifth or seventh, and, I, and then I can kind of vocalize into my mic, and it will create this this vocal sound that follows the keys on the keyboard, which you can use for like kind of scatting, kind of vote, you know, synthesizer scatting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that allows you to create like vocal tones that necessarily aren't like words, but can be musical n- nonetheless. So a way to kind of integrate your voice into your music, and you can use it as like Singing voices as well, but there's all kinds of ways to use vocoders um, to add that element into your music.
1: Sounds pretty cool, actually.
0: Yeah, they're they're not that expensive either. They're pretty cool. Um, but um, so so on the in the future, you're working on a on an EP. What's the target date for that?
1: I don't have a specific date, but I want to say January. 2021 I definitely want it to be in that first month of next year
0: so you think you'll you'll have it pretty much in line for that time period yeah I think so so um one of the other questions I like to ask about like during this this um this period of like COVID and the kind of music you're doing um what's your opinion of of, like how a musical artist can navigate like the current crisis. I think like a lo- I talk to a lot of bands that are like touring bands, and they've been significantly affected because they made their living doing shows. But then I have also talked to artists who're kind of like more like bedroom producers, and they weren't necessarily, you know, affected as much because they don't really tour. They, they they're more of like uh, internet, social media, SoundCloud, Spotify creation. They don't necessarily have to tour. They do YouTube videos, or they do other things. So, what, what what has this really significantly affected? What you've been doing with this project?
1: Uh, well, not really, because uh, I think, as I said before, I've never uh, performed live. But I, you know, I understand that. Yeah, it has definitely affected, especially the artists who um, were mainly making their income by doing shows. And it kind of made me really realize that um, as a musician, it's really important to have kind of multiple, I guess, yeah, multiple streams of income. I guess. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, focusing on just one stream can be really dangerous. Yeah. And you know, this pandemic was kind of. Uh, an example of that um
0: well i think it seems like the way the industry is like like when i grew up i'm in my 50s right so if you were a band we had to tour to make money but in the old days um, when people bought records if you could get you know a record deal on a small label um, like an indie label or college radio type label like an sst or IRS records, like really small labels, like sub pop, you know, small, small labels, even small hip hop labels. Um, You could, you can sell cassettes, you could sell CDs and you would get income from that, that merch. But when everything went to streaming, the income stream got so low that the only way you can make money is tour. Um, And the other way you can make money is like sync licensing or, or working as a studio musician on other people's records, doing features um, so people who branched out and were able to do features or be able to play on other people's records or become producers on other people's records or sell, you know, little clips for advertising found other ways to make money, but bands that can just continue to drive around in a van or a bus are, were subject to like this kind of crisis, you know, having a hard time, um, so it's, it's interesting that people are starting to navigate, find new ways to do things. Uh, a lot of the bands I've talked to are actually collaborating with other bands uh, to work as like producers or playing bass or drums on other people's records uh, as a way to kind of survive. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so you're... Um... Do you have any any questions or, or, or anything you want to tell your fans that maybe they don't know about you? Since I have you on on the line, um, that would be interesting, um, like aspect of your or your process or your life that maybe you'd like to tell your fans more about.
1: Um, yeah, actually, I had kind of something. Um, I think I was I had been looking at the kind of the question outline that you'd asked, and I think you'd asked. Um, where do I see the future of music um, going? Mm -hmm. And I actually, I don't remember when I had this dream. So I had this, I had a really weird dream where I was in this like super futuristic world. It was like kind of on another planet. Um, And it was like a very vivid dream. So I kind of remember how everything looked, like the sky was purple and there were like two moons in the sky. So I kind of knew that I wasn't on earth anymore. I was like, you know, on a different planet. Um, and it felt like I had kind of stepped out of a time machine and there was just kind of electronic music just like playing outside. Like it was just like, just coming from outside. It was like a kind of a weird movie and I remember thinking, wow, I think, I think this is what the future is gonna look like. And this is how the the future is gonna sound like. And I feel like after that dream, I was kind of, I was, I've been interested in making music since 2017, but I didn't start making it until um, last year. And I think that that dream kind of propelled this project of mine. Um, So kind of down to the visuals (laughs) that I have on my page, I wanted to kind of turn that dream that I had, like that visual dream of like wherever I was, I was like on some other planet. I wanted to turn that into um, kind of a reality um, through my music and through my visuals. So that's kind of, a lot of people kind of comment about like the, the aesthetics of my page, um, kind of like my setup because I have these purple lights in my studio. And yeah. that, was, that was inspired by the dream. Um, all of the aesthetics on my page were inspired by the dream. So uh, yeah, that, I feel like that dream strongly inspired my music style, uh, down to the visuals that I, that I have.
0: Yeah. It kind of brings up the visuals are a big part of what your project P is about from, from your videos and your page, the visuals on Instagram. So how, how, how much of that work is like, uh, is is like, would you say that's like a 50, 50 part of the project or like a 30, 70 or how much, how much of that is integral to what you do? Like the visuals, is it like equal footing with the music?
1: Yeah, I would say so, because um, even my the videos that I have on YouTube, um, I spent a lot of time editing those um, because I honestly I enjoy I enjoy the artists who have music videos that go with their songs because I kind of Mm -hmm. want to see the visuals that inspired that or kind of, you know, like vice versa. So it's really interesting to see the visuals that go with the music. So that's why um, I I try to um, make visuals that go with mine.
0: Yeah, I grew up when MTV first appeared, and it was like a revelation. Um, you know, it was like wow, the the fact that you know bands like Duran Duran they created like these like 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 mini movies, and then bands could actually do song videos that had that didn't follow the song. They actually were an interpretation of the song. Um, and it maybe were like just a, a director or the band's vision of what the song should be. So you you could listen to the song on the radio and then you look at the video and you say, whoa, so that's what it means. Or that's just what the band thought it means and everybody could interpret different ways. But the visual aspects of what early MTV used to do was very powerful and it's, it's cool to see that you know the social media places like you know instagram and vimeo and youtube allow an artist to continue that um uh, in a more pure way
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure.
0: Is that part of what you would do if you went live would you have like a, a visual show to go with your music
1: yeah i think that would be a really awesome idea um actually um yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that I would want to have. Definitely the visuals.
0: So like an LED screen with maybe your videos going on behind or collages of visual ideas or maybe like LED lighting or all kinds of, you know, this laser shows, this, you know, all kinds of new capabilities, you know, holograms are getting bigger. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool electronic like synchronization especially like like electronic music there's like synchronization tools that can synchronize your video to what's going on your on in your midi so when you go to do something live if you've got like a visual idea if you got this full theatrical performance you can have it sync to the beat of your drum machine you can have it sync to the, the beat of your what's going out of your equipment so it's totally connected so the lights could be flashing with the beat. The lasers could be going. The LED screens could be doing different things. There's a lot of cool stuff that can be done. And, and it's always, I've always been very inspired by artists that fully take advantage of that and, and bring like, like a Bowie-esque concept to the stage. You know, something that's like a full thought idea. Even like Lady Gaga, she does that too. But it's cool to actually see artists that, that integrate that. So if that's where you're going, I'd be very impressed to see. Or excited to see where you're going to go with that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I um, I know someone, he's like a video effects uh, artist, I think. I'm not sure if that's the right terminology. But um, yeah, he told me about this program. Don't quite remember what it's called, but I think you can kind of use it with Ableton. And yeah, like you said, um, the lights kind of can go with the beat, and that's Kind of super awesome, and that's
0: definitely something that I want to look into. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff you can connect with your synths. There's like there's a there's a standard kind of like MIDI that allows you to link your lighting systems to your synths. Um, so once you get that type of equipment, or you link it to your DAW, it can synchronize with Ableton. It can synchronize with like Mainstay or Pro Tools, any of the systems, and it suddenly links everything up. And then you've got all this cool coordination. But, you know, it, there's a lot of things you can do uh, with, with performance. Uh, I've always been very interested in bands that are theatrical and um, what they do. Um, so that's cool that that's, that's a big part of your music. So I'm excited to, to see that. I, I do like like what you have on YouTube. I like what's on your Instagram channel. So I encourage everybody to check the links that are going to be on this podcast to look at all, the whole every aspect of your work. Don't just listen to the music, go out to the YouTube and Instagram and look at what you're, you're putting it down as a full project.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate it.
0: So, yeah, but we tend to have artists come back um, when they have uh, new projects. So when your, your EP is ready to come out in 2021, we could love to have you on the show. If you have anything else that you're working on that would be cool that you'd like to promote if you come up with another idea because artists never know you can like be in the middle of something suddenly you come up with something else
1: <laughs> <True>.
0: <laughs> um, yeah so so yeah we're always look on the lookout to help artists out so if you ever have a new idea you suddenly say well i'm going to drop a different ep because i got a new idea um yeah give us a ring and we'll put this out this is going to go out within the next hour on 11 um, podcast platforms including apple and Spotify, we are pod- part of Spotify. So there is actually linkage between Instagram, Spotify, and Anchor. And when we put the podcast link on our highlight, people will be able to go directly to the Spotify version of this podcast um, from our channel, and then you can like link it to your channel as well.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I'll definitely do
0: that. So thank you for being on the show, Precious and uh, Project P. Everybody go out and check it out on SoundCloud. Uh, and go check it out on Instagram and YouTube. Thank you for being on the program.
1: All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Have a good night. All
1: right. You too.